This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Monday's Going in Circles podcast. Mondays mean we'll be joined by special, and I guess now we would call him reoccurring guest, Mr. Barry Spears. And we have a lot to talk about. We had uh, we had a big card at, at uh, Monmouth on Saturday, the Haskell card. The Haskell was a close race, an exciting race. Though there's been a lot of uh, a lot of talk about what the future for the the winner of the Haskell will be, considering he wasn't exactly storming home in the uh, the last uh, furlong. So we'll give a um, opinion about about that. What we what we thought about that race and what we're thinking coming out of the race. Uh, see what what Barry has to say about that. We uh, we also can touch on. Uh, few of the other stakes on the undercard, the Haskell in general with the bizarre um, notion of, of a thousand or so fans being there. Uh, we'll talk about Saratoga and the light stakes racing that they had this past weekend. Um, we will touch on Del Mar and the the reopening this weekend maybe I guess I mean they seem to be planning on it though there's a lot of controversy now about should they be running this quick back and are they even going to test the jockeys that tested positive for the coronavirus which is the reason they canceled racing this past weekend and we'll touch on the Meadowlands Saturday night the Meadowlands had a great card of racing, highlighted by the Meadowlands pace, which was about as good a race as you could ever see, regardless of of breed. It was a, a tremendous race, and uh, Barry and I, um, we, we we were participants, not in that particular race, but uh, on the card, uh, and we'll talk about that. So... Just bear with me quickly. We're going to get a little commercial break in, and we'll be back with the sniper, Barry Spears. All right, we're back. Mr. Spears is here. Barry, how are you? Good. Good, my man. Another, another day, another dollar. Well, this, these days, uh, there's a lot to be said for that, uh, making it, making a dollar <laughs> and making it to the next day. Chief. For us, people. COVID's got everybody in a stranglehold. Yeah, yeah. Well, the NBA's got it solved. They got a bubble. If we all just can have our own bubble, we'll be cool. Yeah, I'm not so keen on the bubble thing, and, <laughs> and I don't know if the NBA is going to actually finish the season. <laughs> who knows? Well, I know one team whose season is already finished. Uh-oh. That would be the don't Knicks. Oh, hurts my feelings every time I. See that on Twitter it's it's brutal it's really brutal anyways let's try to 
let's try to make things a little more upbeat than talking about the horrid Knicks. <laughs> um, the Haskell was run this Saturday, and it was an interesting Haskell day, I, I guess you would call it, and uh, that they had originally um, said that they were going to have 500 fans, all who were going to pay a hundred dollars uh admission fee and get and they got the you know the traditional haskell hat which you usually get with like the ten dollar admission fee but um then uh, i guess at a later time it was determined that they could let others in and i guess they wound up with about 1500 or so people at the track which at a track like Monmouth, 1,500 people is, is not a lot. I mean, it's a big facility, and, you know, it's an old-school facility, and uh, there's a lot of room there. But, um, you know, they did get some people in, and the card was probably not your traditionally strong Monmouth, uh, you know, Haskell Day card, and that there was quite a few um, races. There was a, a, an 8,000 never win four claimer right before the stakes. But um they were competitive races and they were good fields and and uh they they record they they had record handle. Of course that's something that we're seeing a lot now, record handle and these aren't smashing handle records, but um like we we had spoke last week about about this topic about uh, how you know with Delmar not running, certainly the tracks that did run picked up some some handle from them. And Mammoth uh, certainly was was probably one of the beneficiaries of that, but um, yeah, I actually saw something that you know that uh, Saratoga still outhandled them on their biggest day, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, um, not by much. I mean, it, it was it was pretty close, but I just found that a little bit interesting. That <clears throat> you know, I know Saratoga has a huge following. And, and so on. It was opening weekend, so so I get it. But it's still, you know, kind of one thing to know and another thing to actually see. Yeah, I mean, Saratoga is, is going to outhandle everyone. It's just going to, you know, it has the name recognition. There's certain tracks that have name recognition, and people are going to bet on Gulfstream. Is is amazingly uh, popular as a simulcast signal. I mean, there are days where they have um the quality of the cards not necessarily the numbers but the quality of the cards just aren't that great yet they still they still handle you know a ton of money and mammoth has always been a a good signal i believe handle wise but uh you know things are so it, it's like this is a carve out year you know you can't really you, you should you got to be wary of, of comparing to other other years past years past days because it's so much different and there's so few races run still compared to a normal um a normal schedule that we have i mean arlington still isn't running um you know delmar didn't run and uh it's just a it's just a, a kind of a a new world of sort of so to speak but uh but uh, you know there was there was some decent races uh, at Monmouth. I, I believe the um, the the big race kind of 
was a soft rendition quality wise going in and, and I certainly believe that the the COVID issue that's so adjusted the three year old schedule with uh you know the the bluegrass just being run and, and um you know the, all these other races coming up and, and the Indiana Derby was uh, what last last right, Wednesday. Monday, right? Yeah for Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesday. So Wednesday. You know, if it, if this was in a traditional Monmouth um, Haskell with a traditional schedule with the Derby and Preakness already been run, and they probably would, it probably certainly affected the Haskell as as much as any field that's been run for three year olds yet. Um, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest quality field. Uh, honestly, I thought. Of the of the stakes at Monmouth on Saturday, that the matchmaker was really the best yes. field. It was a quality field for a grade three. I think the matchmaker is a grade three, or a grade two. But it, it was really a solid, solid race, and uh, it, it was a yeah. it was a representative race for the for the for that that race, which has always been a good race. And um, you know, the, the Mammoth Cup was kind of the corresponding older horse race at a mile and a eighth that was won um, by Global Campaign, who's maybe finally starting to live up to the hype that uh, that a lot of people had had placed on him last yeah, year yeah, in I the Derby Trail. Yeah, um, I, I thought he ran great. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen that from him since he kind of debuted, um, which was good to see, and especially him going longer. Um, it was really nice to see that horse win, but yeah, I, I agree. The matchmaker was probably the, in my opinion, was the best race on the card. Um, the Haskell is just, you know, COVID and timing kind of killed that race. Although it was, it was interesting how it played out, um, with, you know, uh, authentic kind of pulling away in the stretch and then given that what I like to call an optical illusion with uh, near traffic kind of making it close at the end. I, I, I don't, I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of things going on. I had heard that uh, Authentic was running with earplugs and Mike was smooching at him instead of going with the lefty stick. All kinds of stuff floating around out there. I think Bob said that same thing, but um, either way, I, I, I just don't think it was as dramatic of a finish uh, from New York traffic as people would like to believe. You know, I, th- I think it was more of an optical illusion than it was that horse really coming back like that. Honestly, I think that my opinion is this. As, as I watched the race live, I watched a replay of the race, and I watched a replay of the stretch a couple times. And I think, number one, the criticism of Mike Smith's ride is misplaced. <laughs> Sure. I also think Mike Smith is lying. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that that horse had much left in the tank. And I don't believe the green this nonsense. And I do think like you think that it, it was more of um it was more of of authentic slowing down than it was Math Wizard. Um not math wizard. What uh, math? Uh, New York traffic. Yeah, New York same, traffic. I, I got. Guy. Yeah, exactly. Same trainer. Right, the hair guy. But um, I, I really, I mean, when you look at the fractions of the race, and it was very, very odd. And and honestly, I love when 
when tracks card a similar class race to their big race at the same distance. I think that's always uh, a great measure because, um, and I know it's hard to do for like the Derby to come up with a mile and a quarter race on the undercard and the Belmont as well, but um, but it's really nice that the, the, the Mammoth Cup is on the undercard is running a mile and an eighth as well because it kind of gives you a, a good comparison time-wise to the you know horses of similar quality and obviously the Haskell's a bigger race than the Mammoth Cup but the Mammoth Cup is also older horses, older horses who should right. be a little faster though I'll be honest I I don't want to get too much off into a tangent but I'm looking over the buyer numbers today and I'm I'm kind of stuck and this is something that is kind of there like for us guys that were around back when horses would kind of regularly run far, far better buyers than they do now. And I just wonder about the scale that's used now. And I wonder about things like, in the, and I say in the old days, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the best dirt horses, especially going along, always ran much better buyers than the best turf horses. It was hard for turf horses to break 105, 106, 107. And in our, in our best races, horses would, you know, they'd clock off 120s, 118s, 115s pretty regularly. I mean, the Breeders' Cup Classic was always in that 115 and up range. And now, I was, I was kind of astonished that it seems like there's more turf horses that are running higher buyers at, at the top of the class more consistently. And I know turf horses are probably in general a little more consistent, but like the Mammoth Cup got a hundred buyer for their race. And I think based upon what the horses who finished first, second, and third ran previous, I think it was a little high. Because that was a that was a lifetime high, I think, for global campaign. It was a a high for Math Wizard and Bal Harbor. They were all I, I think it was five or six points high, and and this is just based upon what they had run before. And then when you look at the the Haskell giving them a hundred because they ran almost an identical time. I think it were two hundredths of a second off the final time. So you know when you when people say that hey, authentic really isn't a Derby contender. And I agree that he's not, but I don't know that I agree based upon the buyer or anything that, because certainly his 100 buyer fits with the best of the three-year-old crop. But um, it was yeah. kind of the way he earned it. And and, uh, and I just don't... My question is, are the horses really that bad nowadays? I mean, the one thing is, the one thing is for sure, is they're a lot... They're, they're raced... A lot lighter. They're not nearly as tough and as the other horses were, the other top horses were in years past. Not recently, but when horses were campaigned and and we didn't see three and four race years, which you know is not that uncommon now for top horses. And I mean that 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 might be a little bit. Maybe I'm a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe five or six is is really a better call. But I mean, a lot of these horses are so lightly raced that. Um, I don't know. It's it's just kind of a 
it just kind of struck me to as as thinking well the horses that people consider like the top of the top aren't appreciably faster than the horses that people kind of knock every time they run so it's weird that's what i noticed too you know um i'm with you there now speaking of the mammoth cup now i guess you can kind of look at it this way or at least i was kind of looking at it this way so you have those three horses the top three finishers ran their best race on that day right right um it's certainly possible but not likely you know what i mean um i I mean if they they ran their career or near their career top in the monmouth cup how do you kind of go from there it it, it, i guess you know uh, i know a lot of the times they they go back and they adjust numbers based on uh you know all kinds of factors i think you might be on to something here especially with that race in particular i don't think all three of those horses ran their best race on saturday um so i I would say it might get adjusted in that regard now in comparison with the haskell it's all about do you think authentic and or new york traffic ran their best that day or are they do they have another move in them you know what's funny is a lot of times we judge horses based upon what other horses do. Meaning, if you take New York traffic out of the race, well, authentic wins by 10. And I'll be honest, I think Mike Smith was sitting chilly on authentic because he knew the horse was tired. And he wanted to try to save as much as he could to the end. I mean, you watch him, you watch the Holy Bull Travers, because that was the race that came to mind. And certainly, New York traffic couldn't warm concern up. If I rode concern, I could he could beat New York traffic. Concern is dead, and he could still beat New York traffic. But if you watch that race, now remember, he got hard used because Comanche Trail was used as a rabbit for him, against him, you know. And when Mike turns for home, he's not riding; he's sitting. No, he's, he's sitting, and he, he's 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 he, he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And, um, and and then it's funny you talk about the whip rules. He uh, he he probably smacked Holy Bull twelve times in the last sixteenth uh, of a mile. Yeah, he did. But um, you know, it was it reminded me of that because he and, and honestly, if Concern had beat him that day, if there was social media, there probably would have been people saying, you know, he oh, fell gosh. asleep and he did and that. Mike Smith knows exactly where he goes. He knows exactly how fast he's going. He knows exactly where everyone else is. He didn't. He, he, I believe, I seriously believe, and he might not admit it now, and he might not admit it maybe some uh, for a while. Until he retires. <laughs> but I really think he he thought that his horse was running a little low on on gas, and you know Paco was riding the New York traffic the whole way, the whole way. and he I think he thought that when he he pulled away from him, you know, going by the quarter pole or a little bit before the quarter pole, he opened up a couple lengths. I think he figured he was done. So he could just kind of cruise, and and then if, if, you know, need be, if someone came out of the clouds, then then he would, you know, go to work on the horse. But I really believe that, and and uh, I, I really am I'm skeptical about some of those excuses. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard about ten different things in the last two days on, on what, you know, 
uh, you know, what did happen, could have happened, so on and so forth. Uh, one thing I didn't hear, and I, I could be wrong, it may be out there, but maybe Authentic just needed the race. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's, that's it, not a Baffert know. thing. I mean, that's, no, it isn't. the one thing with Baffert is, is his horses, like, they, they they show up. I mean, he's not a race them into shape kind of guy, but I, I don't know. And, and, you know, the Mammoth track wasn't normally, it wasn't its normal. Um, it wasn't souped up. It wasn't really yeah, cranked up. It like wasn't. It I mean, when you look at the, the times for the rest of the day, they all kind of. There, there was no one running faster than than par for sure, and uh, you know people kind of have come to expect tracks to soup the track up, and Monmouth has has traditionally been a, a pretty quick track, so so I I, I don't know I, I mean if you it's ask really me interesting <laughs> I mean either way you want to look at it you know people that do like authentic could say hey you know maybe he wasn't a hundred percent. You know, I mean, just the way the race shaped out, if you combine that with maybe Mike was kind of conserving energy there for a little bit, it could make sense. You know, that is definitely a theory you could go down the road and think about. Or you could say, hey, he knew this horse was, was, was laboring early and probably wasn't going to get that distance or struggle. Well, the, the one thing... And, th- you know, it, it could go either way. There was another, there, uh, you know, we were talking, um, or excuse me, they were talking about how he was running in spots. And I said, you know, what's interesting is is that is not really supported by the data. And I was talking to someone about that, and they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, he ran the first qu- he ran twenty three and and three the first quarter. He ran twenty three and four the second quarter. He ran twenty three and four the third quarter. And then the last three eights, he ran thirty eight and four. I mean, they ran he ran slow, but you know, it wasn't like he was going fast and slow and get. He, he was going almost the same pace the whole race. And I mean, coming out of this race, I wouldn't take any of these horses in the Derby. Like I, I, I'm no, not. not those not those aren't Derby what, horses. What's out there? I mean, you know, you see, you see, tis the law, and he stands out to me anyway, at least at this point. And then everybody else behind tis the law seems about to be the same. The AP uh, on style. The, the AP horses of of sheriffs is good and, oh, and and listen, man, don't be disrespecting Uncle Chuck because Uncle Chuck. <laughs> Uncle Chuck has got the best name on the Derby Trail. I don't know about anything else, but Uncle Chuck, man, if I don't care if people hate Baffert, I don't care if people hate whoever rides the horse in the Derby, I'm wearing an Uncle Chuck shirt, and I don't care. I don't give a shit. Because Uncle Chuck is a good name. That's that's Breezy's nickname for you. So That's right, exactly. I like that horse automatically. I mean, you know, listen, forget all about Baffert and the pauses and all the other bullshit. Uncle Chuck's a great name. Fantastic. And the only good thing about him is I'm happy that he's not in claiming races, so I wouldn't feel pressured to you know put <laughs> drop a claim in for him. You know, they, they they could they could they could probably sucker me into claiming him. I'd have to borrow ninety seven point eight percent of the money, but you know, for a good cause like Uncle Chuck. But uh, I'm with you. I, I think Uncle Chuck might be all right, and, and, and I think you said it. You said it on Twitter that. Authentic might be his rabbit. That's right. I said authentic does he belongs in the Derby as Uncle Chuck's rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I guess at this point, you know, it seems like somebody's waiting. You know, it just depends on who it is that's going to be waiting for Tis the Law to stub his toe. 
Yeah. Well, it there's, may not happen. There's, there's, I not, mean, there's not much time left. No, that's what I mean. It may not happen. It might happen on Derby Day, uh, which wouldn't be too far-fetched. Um, considering how much time, you know, I think if it was run in a normal year under normal circumstances, tis the law probably would have at least took the Derby and the the uh, the Preakness for sure. You I, know, I saw to the Belmont off that short layoff. You know, who knows? But I think he would have won too, at I, least. I saw his thoroughgraph sheet today, or yeah, today. Um, someone had shown it to me about because uh, it was put up. A friend of mine had him, and they had put it up for the um, the future book. And he's run he's run all zeros this year, so he has kept his. You know, he he's done nothing but stay consistently faster than everybody else. And, and that's where I get skeptical. You know, it's like you know I'm always the guy that, that's waiting for the other shoe to fall off, and I, I want to be there when it happens so I can cash in. But you know. Right now, I don't see anybody better than him. You know, no dirt running three-year-olds that are better than him. Um, he, he's going to be tough to beat uh, come September, I think. But, you know, I, I'm not going to rule out him not showing up on Derby Day for whatever reason because it's happened all the time. I mean, look at Point Given, for example, just mysteriously did not show up that day and turned into a monster. Yeah. Yeah, Holy Bull. The, I'm talking right. about him. He, Same thing. He, uh, Jimmy Crow went to his grave thinking that he got, he got, uh, someone got to him that that day, and you know what? He he might not have been wrong. Who knows? Who knows? But um, yeah, the Derby Trail is definitely, uh, it's definitely long this year. Definitely <laughs> long. The, uh, you know, changing, changing. Um, well, not changing topics, but changing tracks. I was really disappointed in the quality of the stakes in New York this weekend. Um, and honestly, the, the United Nations was uh, really... Uh, it wasn't a great... You know, it's a grade one race in... Yeah, it was, it was a little subpar. It, it was a grade one race that had a grade three field at best. And I think that the two New York races on the turf for three-year-olds were huge, were huge disappointments. The the um, the Lake Placid was actually a good betting race, and and I want people to understand that when I say it like a disappointment as a race, it means I'm talking about the quality of the field for that that grade of horse, and it was it was baffling to me. I was amazed that the Lake Placid's a Grade two race at Saratoga going a mile and an eighth on the turf, and Bill Mott, Todd Pletcher, Chad Brown had no fillies in that race. Not one. Yeah, I, I was I was shocked. It almost seems impossible <laughs> that they don't have somebody because the truth of the matter was, five of the eight in fillies in the Lake Placid were coming out of allowance races. Um, three of them were coming out of losing in allowance races. There was only one stake winner in the field, and that was uh, the the one Chris Clement's horse who um, who had won a stake a listed stake last listed, fall. Yes, and he he was coming off a fourth at Woodbine, so you have no greatest stake winners. You have no you have one stake winner total. You have horses coming out of losing efforts. There was a horse that was was in there 
Um, Juan Alvarado's horse who finished fourth at Gulfstream in the summer that was in there. And it just, like I said, it was a good betting race, and it turned out to be a, a, a good race to watch. I mean, it was it was a close race, but uh, after the day before the Hall of Fame for oh, three-year-olds, the three-year-old was, was a five-horse race. It was six, and, and Clement scratched Gufo, scratched horse, yeah. who was probably on paper the, the second best horse in the race. And, um, you know, Decorated Invader, who was a good horse. He's a very, very good horse uh, for a three-year-old turf horse. And he won, um, I don't want to say easily, but... He won fairly easy. It just didn't look that He looked like a winner most of the race. And they didn't really set much of a pace, as as is typical in almost every route race in New York. But, um... Uh, you know, a little interesting side note in that race. In the official chart, it says start good for all. And for the winner, the comment is hit gate. Hit gate, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I was and I laughed, I was like, wait a minute. So, start good for all, but hit the gate. Uh, but this guy hits the gate, and all right. Uh, it's probably just probably just a a, a a typo or something. But but it just was, I mean, a five-horse field, and they were allowance horses. Decorated Invader is a serious good horse. He's he's a legit horse. He's a legit graded horse. But the rest of them just weren't. And it, it's weren't, five. No. It's three. It's July. Where, where are all the horses? You know where the horses are? They're in the barns of the same guys, and they're not going to run them if they're eight or ten to one. They just aren't. And that's... I am not... I am not criticizing the guys who work in the racing office in New York because they have to play the hand that they're dealt. What I'm criticizing, and I've criticized for years, is the fact that if we don't start dividing up some of the better horses, the racing is going to get worse. And the trickle-down effect is you've already killed a lot of the middle guys. The guys in the middle, they might have one or two horses for a race like that. They would be happy to try to get a stakes placing in, in a race like that. But most guys don't even have those. And you you have issues like the very next day. The very next day. Um, you had a, a, a race where um, a maiden special. The third race on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Maiden special for Phillies going a mile on the turf. Three and up. Five horse field. Five. Yeah. And one of them was a horse who was fifty to one morning line. Punchy <laughs> Goberdon must have, must have hit his head before he entered in the race. He meant to. Yeah, he, I, meant, I he, meant to uh, he meant to. He meant to enter in a, at Fort Erie in a maiden special, I guess. But <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I, I think people don't pay attention as much as they should to that sort of thing. It's, it, you're it's talking a five horse, a five opinion. horse maiden race at Saratoga, and the three right. to five shot. Ted Brown's was lost despite getting right. a ridiculously you know. slow lead. But the point is, like, if we can't fill, you can you can say, okay, all right, Chuck, you know, nobody wants to be 20 to 1 in a, in a, in a, in a stake race, so guys aren't just going to take shots like years past, and stats count, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. Maiden races. If we can't get full fields in maiden races, if we can't get eight in a maiden race, then... That's right. Especially what? in Saratoga. I mean, you know, I, I, I know with the COVID stuff, things are a little different, but you would think that 
people would have horses to run. You know, I mean, there was there was a break there. You know, I, I don't know how long exactly, but enough of a break where you know you, you couldn't say, oh, well, these horses have been running too much. You just kind of give them some rest, or you know, what you know, it just sparks another question, like what's going on? Why is this race only filled with five horses rather than eight to ten? Or ten to twelve. Well, the o- opening, um, the opening race at Saratoga on Saturday was a six-horse, two-year-old maiden special. Yep, two-year-olds. Yep. They they've hardly run any of those races in New York this year, and I get the sales were late this year, and I get that that um, you know horses might not have come in as early because there was so much uncertainty, but where are they? And that's that's what I want to know. And what, why aren't they running in three-year-old and up maiden races? How can they not have ten? I just don't get it. So, someone made the point to me when I said it to them this morning, and they said, well, you know, there was a lot of forecast for rain, and people, you know, maybe didn't want to enter because they would have had to scratch, and then, you know, you scratch, you lose your day. But I said, it had, it, I said, come on. I said, first of all, you're a maiden in July of your three-year-old or four-year-old year, okay? So, like... Uh, unless you're by uh, yeah, unless you're by like Galileo, okay, you know. Uh, seriously, maybe you should run anyways. Secondly, the races aren't overfilling. <laughs> you know, I remember we used to go, and, and listen, New York's always run a lot of maiden races. It's always been a good place to have a turf maiden. Even in back in the days before there was as many turf races. They ran a lot of turf maids in New York, and they're great races. I mean, they're big fields, and and they're they're just good races. They just are. And you would go south for the winter, and those those tracks wouldn't run the the number of of maiden races or turf races in general at all, based upon you know compared to now. But um, I remember being at Tampa, and. They would put one maiden special race, a book, on the turf in the race. And this is when the Tampa's turf course was relatively new, and Mrs. Thayer was very adamant about not overusing it. She wanted it to settle and become a good turf course. And honestly, it was the best thing that happened because it's a great turf course, and it didn't get chewed up too early. But but what happened was if you, you entered in the race, sometimes there'd be 30 or 40 horses entering. So you would have... Well, put it this way, not that great of a shot to even get in the race. And my God, if the race came off the turf and you scratched, you were probably not going to get to run the entire meet. Or at least until April when a lot of the other horses had dispersed and they started, you know, like getting a little more desperate for, for horses. They might, you know, split the race or, or, or something. But it used to be such a, a, uh, a tough thing to do. I mean, if... If you could have told me 15 years ago that they would be running five horse maiden special races at Saratoga, I would have, I would have, I would have thought you hit your head or something. <laughs> and you know, I know that there's the COVID and there's issues and this and that. I know that Keeneland's affected them, and I know that um, guys, especially the out of town guys, are, are are less likely to ship those kind of horses in to run. But man, it's uh, it's disappointing. Yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that. I mean, you know, you expect, you know, traditionally, 
in Saratoga, everybody to come out, everybody to run, everybody to take a shot. And when you see these fields that, that have assembled so far, I mean, granted, it's only been the first four days. Sure. Um, but really, how much better could it get? You know, and that's, that's what I'm kind of working out in my head. Um, I'm assuming it's going to get better. But, you know, where's the peak and where's the drop-off? I mean, you know, you know I, the Coaching Club American Oaks was run um, <laughs> on on Saturday. And, and it wasn't yeah. a great field. But, I, 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 you know what, I can't really criticize that race nearly as much as the other ones. Simply because the Ashland was run with a short field a week ago. A right, week same, before. Same, same group, two grade ones. I mean, it only yeah. happened because of the COVID. And... And the funny thing about that race was there was a couple California shippers in that race. Um, so, you know, it happens. There's only so many fillies that can go to a mile and an eighth on the dirt at this current time at that level. So, honestly, it's not um, – it, 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 it's, it's, hard, it's hard to it's really knock that, that, right. that field. I mean, it wasn't a great field, obviously. It was a weak field. But uh, the winner and the second-place horse look like they're going to be good horses coming out. I think Paris Light, she's three for four now. and um you know, it was it was. Uh, yeah, it was an entertaining race. I mean, all the way around, it, it wasn't it wasn't a bad race by any means. No, but a little disappointing from the the entry standpoint. But you know, considering like you said, the Ashton was was the uh, week before, so you know it makes sense. And and you know, lucky for for Naira that it was a, a pretty entertaining race. And then uh, those, like you said, those two top horses kind of separated themselves and, and it was a good it was an entertaining race well you know one of the issues that we have one of the things that people don't understand a guy a guy wrote something a guy on twitter the other day and and, and uh he was writing about um i can't remember what of his names but he, he's a pretty fun guy and he's he's a pretty he's a pretty sharp guy and he cares and that's the thing that people don't understand sometimes is that the people on social media a lot of them they care. They care more than the people who, who work for a living in this business. Because a lot, a lot of those people, it's a job. And he said something about horses getting beat more than 20 lengths that they would have to have like three months off. And I said, you know, you're nuts. <laughs> I said, you, you know, first of all, you, that, that, that sounds would, like a, I, a better I said, vent. I said, I said we, like you know. And he said, well, you know, it would force trainers to put horses in better spots. And I'm like, dude. All right, a guy put a horse in the UN this this year. Um, that was a maiden. And if I'm the racing secretary and that guy tries to make that entry, I say, you know what? I'm not taking it. I don't care. You want to sue me or sue us? You're gonna lose, and I don't give a shit. And if you take the rest of your horses, I don't give a shit because any freaking moron that puts a maiden in uh, that's made one start in the United Nations handicap no matter how weak it is is, a, is is just retarded it's stupid but that being said it's not so easy to enter horses these days the number one complaint I hear from trainers the number one complaint more than workman's comp more than the help boy the number one complaint is I got this horse I got these horses I can't get a race i can't get the right race a guy the guy was talking to me this morning about a twenty-five thousand never went to turf horse can't find a race hasn't been a race, a race. hasn't yeah, been a race for that horse anyway. in two months and and it's like 
this is the number one complaint you have. I've been there. I've had horses. And you know what I used to do? And I did really good at it for a while. I would buy, I would go to the yearling sale, and I'd look for horses that weren't precocious. And I would look for horses that looked like they'd be good stretching out, that were a little backwards, that I, you know, had pedigrees to be horses that wanted to go more than a mile. And I would buy them really cheap. I would always get, you know, the two-year-old pinhookers weren't really looking at them. And, I mean, certainly I wasn't looking at AP Indies or Stormcats or those types. So I would get them and and we would break them and then we would kind of take it easy with them and just start cranking them up at the end of two-year-old year and wait till the races got longer and try to win two-turn dirt races. And you know what happened? They stopped riding two-year-old dirt races. I was going to say, there's, there's not many of those around. They stop riding three-year-old dirt races, two turns. They don't ride any turf races, or excuse me, dirt races going two turns. And it's it's very frustrating because the only races that seem to fill going two turns on the dirt are bottom claimers or stake races. And when you get a two-turn dirt horse, and there's a big difference between a mile, a one-turn mile and a two-turn mile and a sixteenth. And a lot of horses that can't get a one-turn mile can get two-turn mile 16th because the pace dynamics of the race are totally different, completely different. It's a 24-48 kind of early pace instead of a 22-45 early pace. And it's very tough when you have one of those races or, or type of horses because maybe they're talented enough to win going a mile around one turn. Or maybe even they're talented enough to win going seven eighths, but their real strength is going to be around two turns. It's a horse that has some stamina. Guess what? You better hope they like the turf, or you better be yeah, real I, lucky. I noticed that they do, they do that a lot. Obviously, in Gulfstream, you know, I see horses that probably would be two turn, you know, two turn dirt horses. Yeah, you know, they just they just things that's happened is the proliferation of one-turn miles because they're tough on horses it's a tough race and that they run really fast early in the race and then they hit a turn and then they're supposed to switch leads and run on down the stretch after already running a a fast sprint race now they got another quarter mile to go, and especially for the cheaper horses at Gulfstream, you see it all the time. Usually, they'll go down there three quarters and one eleven, and the race will go in one forty. They'll crawl home, and it's tough on horses. And horses get hurt mostly when they're tired, and it's it's tough. But I had a horse named Killer Bird, and she was a nice filly. She was by Summer Bird. We didn't pay much for. Her. Summerbird won the Belmont. That that was his best distance was was long, you know. And 
She wanted. I want a steak with her. I want a mile. It was a, res- a restricted steak, but it was a steak nonetheless. And do you know that in her entire career, I ran her on the turf, I ran her on the dirt, I ran her six furlongs, I ran her a mile, a one-turn mile, I ran her on uh, on the grass. She won on the dirt, um, go a mile, going one mile. She won in the mud, going seven eighths on the turf race, was taken off, and she won broke her maiden uh, going a mile around two turns on the turf. But she never one time in her career got a chance to run two turns on the dirt. And she got hurt, and I sold her as a broodmare. We we did pretty good. But it was kind of ironic in that I had her since a yearling, and then we sold her. uh, She was um, five. And so I had her for four years, and, and I didn't get to run her at really what I believe would have been her preferred distance um at a mile and a 16th or mile and an eighth or she probably could have gone further than that she never once got a chance to run on it because getting races to fill is just and i know it's difficult and the racing secretaries are very uh very quick to say hey we don't write them because they don't fill but when you don't write them then you know it's it's kind of a I've always maintained, I said, well, you know, the interesting thing about South Florida Circuit is we have to go to Calder for two months, and Calder doesn't have a shoot, so we run a bunch of two-turn races for two months, and all the guys who supposedly won't enter two turns enter two turns because that's the only, you know, well, that's the only choice they got, I, I, w- I was told. I said, well, why don't you make that the same thing here for a while? It's just, it, it takes away from the variety, and I'm on a tangent, and and I'm complaining because I'm still pissed off years later that I never got a chance to run that horse. At our best distance, but but it's it's tough to um it's tough to prep horses for these races. Uh, it just is because there's just not. That's the one thing about the Derby Trail is at least you know there's a series of two turn races that your horse is going to be able to run in. Virtually any other type of horse that's not a stake horse, man, it's hard to find them. It really is hard to find them, and and it wasn't always that way when I first started training. They ran plenty of two-turn races. Plenty of two-turn dirt races. I remember George Chavez went 5-1 on both turns at Saratoga one time. I told, and he told me, well, you said keep the filly out of trouble. I said, yeah, keep her out of trouble, but, you know, you could stay closer to the inner rail, not the outer rail. I put, <laughs> I, I, I came back, I put, uh, I, I put Bailey on her, and she won by five. Of course. Mile and an eighth. Mile and an eighth. But, uh, and, and that was, I think, a 25 claimer. Um, the odds of a, a, a 25 claimer with a 7, I think it was a 7, 8, 9 horse field. But um, the odds of one of those going now is like, it's like remote. It's slim to none, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when, um, when the variety of, of races just doesn't exist. And like I said, I hear from trainers all over the place. This isn't just a South Florida issue. It's an issue everywhere. I can't find the right race for my horse. And if you run them in the wrong race a couple times and, uh, you know, you don't show anything, then a lot of times the owner will take them and give them to someone else at a different circuit. And, you know, what what what, what are you supposed to do? Sometimes you're just stuck. And, uh, and it, it, it's one of those issues that um, that I think can be... 
I mean, listen, there's issues that are difficult to solve because we might need the help of politicians, the, the medication rules, the, um, you know, trying to have um, a national rule of any sort is, is it's, it's so impossible because when you deal with politicians, it's tough because we're racing and we don't matter that much. And right, you gotta you gotta do a sell job. You have to sell them on why this is good. Yeah, and it's just when, it when, doesn't. When it comes to riding races, that's that's pretty easy. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's something that, you know. Obviously, the track has control over it, but you know, if they wanted to do it, they could. One of the fundamental issues that this business has is then it's the tracks see each other as competition. They don't see the real danger which is the outside competition that's coming to take away their customers. And they have been taking away their customers. And that's hard to overcome. It's why the jockey club can have all, can pay those those guys, that uh, the McKinsey people, they can pay them $10 billion, and you would be, they would be better off finding 12 guys on Twitter and talking to them. Because the fact of the matter is, yes, it'd be a great idea. And everybody would benefit from a system where the tracks didn't run on top of each other. But the problem is the tracks are running on top of each other on purpose, not by accident. They're doing it on purpose because they see the other track as the competition. And it's it's a small-minded thought. And that being said... I understand. If I was a racing executive, I'd probably do the same thing. If I owned my own track, I wouldn't because I'd be rich. And if I was rich, then I could do things and and not worry about every single little penny. But a guy working for the rich guy, they still have to do what the rich guy wants. And in a lot of ways, running over the top of your competition is what they want. And it's tough because... It, it, from a better's perspective, it, it's maddening. It, 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 really, it really is. And we don't, like, our stake schedules are barely coordinated. We often have, in the summertime, when, when everybody's running and we don't have a virus, you have, over a three-week period, three or four three-year-old turf stakes for horses. And then everybody cross-entering and running here and skipping this one and going there. And then all the races wind up suffering. Because there's no coordination. And it's one of the things the Europeans do good in that their pattern races, their graded stake races, are all set up kind of... Uh, and not, it, it's, not, it's not perfect, but it's better than the way we do it. It's far better no, than I've been, I've been dabbling in the, in the Australia racing recently a lot more. Um, but I've noticed that, I mean, they, they have it down. I mean really couldn't get too much better than that i mean i know they have gate mishaps and things like that that happen um every once in a while but yeah i mean they run the a b c d's and and it goes like clockwork yeah there's no reason why they can't do that here they could they could do that but back in the day i don't think they want uh, to do that rockingham and uh suffolk used to run alternating races yeah yeah they, they used to, to do, do that a, in uh, in ohio, ohio I mean, used to do that same yes. thing thistle down and and uh in beulah in the winter yes. time they would run one and they'd run the other and, so uh, i can't tell me turfway did it I, I i think turfway did it one year with kentucky downs or at least yes, one card did. yeah yeah yes, but they did. so so it, 
I, I remember jockeys complaining because they they had to figure out which 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 place they would have been a better place to go to. And this was and this was when Kentucky down allowance races were worth twenty seven thousand. They weren't worth one hundred and fifty thousand. When which which would make that yeah, it was like in the nineties. Yeah, it would make that question uh, uh, moot point these days. But um, although the new turfway is supposed to be bigger and better, and we'll see what happens. But um, but. The the one thing that's tough on, on these days for the people following our sport sport not just the gambling part the sport of it the best horses is that they run so infrequently and they're campaigned which is kind of like a dirty word but they're campaigned to avoid confrontation until they absolutely positively ha- can't skip it and. It's frustrating, and it's one thing that the trotters have over us, Oof. and that those guys, they, they, go. they go after it. You know, they they run right. a lot, and the big money races, they all show up, and you know, sometimes sure they all got to get staked early in the year, and sometimes the horse will get better and and won't be staked as as much, and and their their um their supplement fees, if you can, are, are really really high, but. You know, you you get. Well, look at you, the action there, there was at Meadowlands on Saturday. I mean, you know, I I know it was kind of chalky that that night, but I mean, there was some great races that uh, that went off. I, I I don't know how many harness racing fans listen to this, but I mean, it, it was it was something to see. Like even if you didn't bet and you were just watching, you know, it it was exciting and 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 um, you know, it hasn't been like that in a while. Um, so it was, it was really cool to see and, and, and to participate. But um, like you said, they all showed up. I mean, you know, the myriad of stakes races they had that night and everybody that really was, was there showed up to race, you know, and, and, and that's what you kind of need on the flat side of things, if, you know. But it's just, like you said, it's those campaigns and the owners. And it's It's just too calculated rather than, you know, gut feelings and things like that, like it used to be. Um, now it's it's all you know planned out six, seven, eight months in advance of what they want to do. Yeah, it, it, it's frustrating. I'll tell you what was frustrating. <laughs> it was frustrating. <laughs> the, the, I know the, where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> it's really frustrating when you handicap well and you bet poorly. Welcome to welcome to Meadowlands Pace Night for Mr. Simon. <laughs> what did I tell you early in the card? I love a horse in the eleventh race. You did. I love yeah, I mean, a horse in the eleventh race. On too. It wasn't like you know you were telling me you know twenty minutes before the race. It was early. It was hours. And, and ran like a champion too. Our major Dan was unbelievable. Seriously, that that was an unbelievable. That was, a, that was one of the best races all night. He, other he, than the uh, our dark stranger, tall dark stranger. Yeah, the be- tall dark was, stranger was was great, and I mean honestly, the 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 runner up, Poppy Rob Hanover, was was he, he ran a was huge superb. race. He was three yeah, wide was, early, then he was parked, then he tucked for about two seconds, and then he came first over, and it, it was really a, a great great race. And uh, I mean honestly, I, I should have. I should have cleaned up. I did okay. I mean, I made money, but, you know. Could have been much more. You could have buried them. I wind up hitting those stupid consolation pick fives. 
four to five. It's almost like it yeah, teases you when, when when you when you, yeah, when you when you look at the uh your 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 log and it says, you know, two ninety seven. Like stop, just stop with that's, the t- that's a gut punch, man. Oh, it's almost what's <laughs> I don't even want it. I'd rather just, lose. I'd rather just, lose than see that. Donate it to like charity or something. But uh yeah, it was it was really good racing, and and they bet they bet well. I mean, they bet five million. Uh, I think between Mammoth and and the Meadowlands, they did twenty six million dollars in Jersey on, on Saturday, which which is a good night. I mean, it's a great a great day for, for racing in Jersey. And the Hamiltonian's coming up in a couple a couple weeks, and uh, it's it's kind of a soft crop. It's not really a great crop of three year old trotters, that's for sure. But. Um, I don't know, I think you might see a filly or two take a shot this year, but I mean the 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 best uh I mean Jim Pansy was 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 awesome on uh Saturday night, yeah, but the best two trotters huge. going right now are probably Manchego and Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta two fillies. Yeah. And you know it's interesting how how standard bred's kin the 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 uh the best fillies take on the boys like on a regular basis even in in overnight races and cheaper races a lot of uh, you'll see fillies and mares racing against the boys with um with no problem i mean you, you see you see um in the fall you'll see two-year-olds racing against older horses yeah. sometimes it's it's just a little bit of a different breed but you know what was interesting yeah. about about i was thinking about this um years ago and then i was just thought about it again the other day because I noticed that I was looking at the entries at Yonkers and I was looking at the entries at the Meadowlands. How many horses from Australia and New Zealand uh, have been imported to race here? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about why haven't the thoroughbreds done, done the same? Because I, I was saying that the other day. You couldn't run like, a card at Yonkers without imports. They, they I swear, some nights the half the fields have an N or an A after them. And um, the Meadowlands, there's more and more, and and a lot. I mean, there's a lot of Aussie trainers now. I mean, there's there's a lot of Aussie trainers, but um, it's it's interesting how how many um, there, there's probably more Australian and New Zealand imports in on a single night at Yonkers or the Meadowlands than in our whole country for thoroughbreds. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought about that the other night. I was watching Australia, and I was, you know, thinking to myself, well, they have sales. They, they, they sell horses too. And they're almost Why, all you private. Know, I mean, have, you know, these people that buy them have have these enormously deep pockets. I mean, you do see some of the bigger outfits like China Horse Club running horses everywhere, and it's it's just I I don't get it. Uh, I I never understood that because it's not like there's no good horses in Australia. No, or, there's, there's, there's a lot of you know anywhere else, races. especially so, with the amount of turf sprints that we run nowadays. Correct. Because there's, yes. Um, it, it it seems natural to me, but what do I know? I don't know. Maybe maybe we should <laughs> maybe maybe we should take a trip and, and investigate. Uh, yeah, I'm down with that. We can do that. As, as, as soon have, as, a, have a Vegemite sandwich. Right? <laughs> I'll try anything once. <laughs> As soon as Americans are allowed to leave the country again, <laughs> oh boy! Because it's, it's, we might be a while. <laughs> it's it's too far. It's too far to smuggle ourselves in. Uh, we 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 can't be rowing any boats to Australia, but uh, but it's that yeah, it's one of those things, you know. And and you ask people, and they all kind of give you the same answer, like 
Man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, we get plenty of horses here from from Europe, um, but Australian racing is probably more like our racing than than um than, than European racing. I mean, they you race know, on I, firm turf, and the speed is is a is an important element. And uh, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's uh, it's something that's that's probably. There's probably a good reason, but I don't. I can't really come up with it. So, well, I don't want to take up all your time tonight because I know you. Right. I know you need your beauty rest. I do. And we've railed on. Get uglier by the second, man. We we we, terrible. we we everybody was was commenting on our Twitter picture or our, or our Facebook picture. Yeah, somebody said we look mean. I, I, well, I think we look distinguished. Yeah, the person said that, we look mean. She's saying. mean, so she she knows. But um, <laughs> yeah, things are uh, you know things are crazy. But uh, we'll just keep on keeping on. And I I do I'm going to have a live show last week. We had some issues, but uh, all those issues have been resolved. And okay. we're going to have a live show tomorrow, two to four on Blog Talk Radio. We'll. Do a little promo of that uh, tonight and tomorrow. Um, I'm not exactly sure what my topic is going to be because I haven't gotten some any firm commitments, but we'll have a topic. But right. um, well, I'll be listening. For I sure. got I got some news about our historic um, uh, podcast, which I've really wanted to do, and. and um, Brian Bouye of the National Museum of Hall of Fame is going to help me out. And uh, nice. I'm sure I'll have him on a couple times. He's, he's a real good guy. Wrote wrote a great book about the Travers. And um, I think it's important. I really do. I think it's something that uh, that we really need to, to look at because... It just is. Uh, there's so much great history, and and it's it's just there's no reason why we can't uh, we can't go back in time a little bit. And uh, and I got a couple interviews on the docket for for Friday's podcast uh, with featuring kind of um, you know young up up and coming people um, people that uh, haven't quite got the uh, the publicity. I got a trainer who we're going to do this week, and uh, I think next week we have a jockey agent. But nice. um, see you spreading around. See you're the hardest working man in podcasts right now. I tell you what, I spent seven hours today trying to build a website for this podcast, and man, I need like a, I need like a third grader to come do that stuff because I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting there, but it's it's taken me a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Barry, I appreciate your time as always, and. I hope to well speak with you this week, and we'll definitely see you next uh, next Monday night. All right, sounds great, my man. Have a good one. All right, that's Barry Spears, and thank you for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow on Blog Talk Radio.